Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and against all odds, we are going to get an episode out this week. We're going to find a way to get it done. So at risk of having something else go wrong, let's not delay. Let's introduce the guys. He wants justice for Colin Saunders after being left off the new Madden game. Sam Blackett is with us. What's going on, man? A legend in his own right already, and being left off, just not, not okay. He's furious George Karloftis was snubbed from the 99 Rating Club. George, Jacob Allen is here. What's going on, my friend? Stunned into furious silences, Jacob, and I am Sean Deegan, and I'm going to change all the ratings anyway, so it doesn't matter to me what their current rating is. So as has become the theme when we throw to Jacob and he doesn't answer, he is again not here. Jacob is really leaning into the no man needs a vacation more than the man who just came back from one and uh, is out and about. So we press on after a week off uh, where there wasn't a whole lot happening uh, for the Chiefs. So we decided to take the week. A recording issues we almost didn't do this week, but we've finally been able to put this together. Uh, So we're going to do a couple of topics here tonight. Probably not going to be a super long show, but there are a couple big big ticket items that we wanted to hit on. So let's not delay. First item of the day, not necessarily the biggest news, but an important one that we wanted to start off with, and that is that all-pro right tackle Mitchell Schwartz has officially retired from the NFL. Uh, This is not a surprise. It was kind of where we thought he was leaning at this point, just based on how he tweets and the pictures that he posts on Twitter and Instagram. He's dropped a lot of weight and has talked about how he's not fully pain-free, but feeling better than he has in a long time and officially decided to hang it up and try to continue to pursue rehab and and a pain-free life. So hats off to Mitch Schwartz, one of the best right tackles to play this game, in my opinion, despite never making a Pro Bowl somehow. Uh, Sam, turn this over to you just so you can give your thoughts on uh, Mitchell Schwartz calling it a career. Exemplary tackle. Uh, You can't say anything else about the guy other than just being, at least during his span, Again, you can get in the debate of best tackles in the league or whatever, but during during that run, specifically that year before he got to the Chiefs and then with the Chiefs, he was one of the best tackles in the NFL. I don't think anybody can debate that. I, I wish I would have saved the, the tweet. I can't remember it, but you had during his run, you had like an exponentially greater chance to get into Harvard than to get to the quarterback when you were going against Mitchell shorts, like he was ridiculously good. And it's one of those that we had, we had his brother for a while and, and Jeff shorts, I mean, to his credit being, in my opinion, I, I, he's one of my favorite up at like new athlete radio hosts. Cause obviously you have kind of a new wave coming in and I really like listening to Jeff shorts. I think he's incredibly hilarious, uh, but obviously wasn't the, cream of the crop as far as offensive guards go. He, he left a lot to desire. So when you hear you getting his brother, if, if you obviously, which no one watched the Browns, didn't watch the Browns or understand how good Mitch Schwartz was, you probably weren't super excited about it. But then as soon as, I mean, the fact that what he did as soon as he came in and just shared that entire side up um, almost instantaneously, which is a, I mean, you really think about it, who had been our right tackle? We hadn't had a right tackle in a long time, really since Fisher moved over from left, 
or from right to left. Yeah, that's, that's the last time we had a time. maybe legitimate right tackle. Yeah. So I mean, he he was an integral part to the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl, and then obviously uh, kind of a little hampered and didn't get a chance to really play in that or winning the Super Bowl, and then obviously didn't get a chance to play in the second one, which obviously played a big role in us losing to Tom Brady. But yeah, no, excellent career. I'm glad he's fallen in love with Kansas City. His wife and him and his wife have chosen to kind of make Kansas City their long-term home, which, I mean, even though he wasn't drafted as a chief, I think he will easily make it to the ring of honor and be a forever chief just for what he did in the relative short span he was with us. Yeah, he was one of those guys that just needed some limelight to be discovered. It doesn't help when you're playing next to, like, across the line from Joe Thomas either, who's one of the best left tackles at a time where left tackle was maybe more valued over right tackle than it is today, where we kind of see them more evenly with the explosion of the dual pass rushers uh, in the NFL. But Schwartz has been almost a perfect right tackle. Like I think he is what we wanted Eric Winston to be. For those who don't remember Winston, he was a right tackle with the Texans was thought to be just kind of a shutout right tackle. And, he came over to the Chiefs, and he wasn't bad, but he wasn't that complete stonewall on the right side of the line. And Schwartz has been as close to perfect as you can get. So he's he's earned his retirement by a lot. Which leads me to the question, because there are two kind of tracks here that I want to wrap up with on Schwartz. The second is, obviously, Chiefs history has produced some truly incredible lines, none, none more memorable than the early 2000s, specifically 2002, 2003, where you're looking at Rofe, Waters, Wegman, Shields, Tate. Like, that's – even, even when Tate moved out, you know, John Wellborn was still definitively the, the drop-off, but was still really good at right tackle. And – We've, we've now seen guys like Eric Fisher come in and be a very solid right, uh, solid left tackle. Brandon Albert was a solid left tackle for a long time. We've seen some other names like Rodney Hudson, uh, Mitch Morse, like some big names come through that line. So rather than just say, where do you think he, he, his place in history with the Chiefs is amongst tackles, I'm curious to know where you think he fits in in terms of a rank in Chiefs offensive line history. Because his performance – while he doesn't, for whatever reason, didn't get the Pro Bowl nods that he clearly should have, has produced four All-Pros and been, as we've said, an exemplary right tackle. So, Sam, I'll put it to you. Where would you put him in the pantheon of, of Chiefs offensive linemen? One through three, I think, are solidly taken. And you, I don't know. It will take a lot to dethrone those three with, obviously, Rofe, Shields, and, and Waters. When you're moving into the, the next kind of tier, I think that's where he falls. You're looking at your, your Tates and your Wigmans. Um, it, it, I think that's where he's, he's falling into that line, Albert and, or Albert and um, Fisher. Because of the accomplishments and, and not making an all-pro team, it, it's ridiculous, first off, that he didn't. Like, if you're, if you're – or not making a Pro Bowl, excuse me. If you're an all-pro, even if you're second team and you're not Pro Bowl – what was what does Pro Bowl even mean at that point? So I, I don't even look at that as like a tarnish against him that he didn't make a Pro Bowl. Like the guy I was just trying to pull up because I was trying to find that the tweet about the the Harvard acceptance versus and I couldn't find it. 
But, I mean, you're looking at it. So three-time AP second-team All-Pro, one-time first-team All-Pro, one-time Super Bowl, Super Bowl champ, 134 games started. And so, I mean, you're looking at, I think maybe it's hard. I, I, I put him at five. I think he is fifth. I think you have, obviously, a top three. I feel like – It's hard. Yeah. I get where you're coming from. I'm gonna actually I'm gonna say six because I think you would say Albert Wigman and um, Schwartz are all tied for the same place. So I think you go one, two, three, and then you drop down to six because they're all tied. So you can't give them four, four, five. <laughs> like it is very difficult, but he he's up there. Like if you were creating the starting offensive line of all time with the Chiefs, he's your right tackle. Like, there's no doubt he's not the right tackle of the all-time Chiefs offensive line for me. Yeah, I think for me, he's – I might give him fourth. Like, I, I it's close. Because I think, while I love Wegman, the all-pros are just big for me. And he – Seth Kaiser wrote an article about his performance in the Super Bowl where he basically pitched a shutout. And that was a defensive line and a defense in general that that's hard to do. And he was just elite. And especially when you factor in that, like, Vaughn Miller, who traditionally, if he'd been a pass rusher, you know, five, ten years ago, would have been stuck on the right side, was just screaming uh, off the left side of the defense where you're facing up against the right tackle. And that's who Mitch Schwartz has had to consistently go against with the Chiefs. You didn't hear a whole lot of Vaughn Miller when they played when the Broncos would play Kansas City. I to me, I might give Schwartz fourth on the list of offensive linemen. It's so close though, um, but I, I might give him fourth. It's it's razor's edge, but I'll tip my cap to him. Yeah, and I I feel we'd be begrudging to again. I, I apologize to him to the man because we've already gone through this conversation as to my ignorance of not even thinking of him at one point, but Grunhard obviously needs to be out oh, there yeah. this as well. So it's on my he, bad he, Yeah. I almost combine him and Wigman a lot of times in my brain. Cause I feel right. like they're the same. They were the same player on the offensive line. Like they filled the same role and they just kind of did the same thing. And Wigman was the one that was there when I was really got into knowing who the players were, but no, I, I can definitely see easily. I mean, you could put him again outside the top three. And, and honestly, he may push waters a little bit. Yeah. Like there, there's a chance, but I, I still have a soft spot for waters just because his journey to get to where how good he right. was. Um, like I think he could push him, but no, I think anywhere from I think four to six is a is easily placed and saying that he's within that because Again, guys, if you're new to the Chiefs uh, fandom within the Patrick Mahomes era, the Chiefs have had very good offensive line throughout. The- <laughs> there have been very, very good offensive linemen in the Chiefs kind of pantheon over time. So, uh, Last question here on Schwartz, and then we'll get to our second topic, which I'm sure most of Chiefs kingdom will see coming. But Mitchell Schwartz obviously doesn't have the Pro Bowls on his resume. Has four All-Pros and a Super Bowl win blocking for what at the time many were calling the best, and I think we still call the best quarterback in the NFL. Has he done enough to get to the Hall of Fame? Because it is 
hard for offensive linemen to get in. Will Shields, of all freaking people, had to wait to get in. And he is arguably a top two guard in the NFL, top three. You can make that argument with him. And he had to wait. So I think talent-wise, we'd say Mitch Schwartz is a Hall of Famer. But has he has he accumulated enough status to get there to you? No, he he was he's a Hall of Fame caliber player. Mm-hmm. All of his skill sets, everything he achieved, is Hall of Fame worthy. It's the ten years that's what's going to kill him is he didn't have the longevity of what we're seeing with some of these offensive line because again, the era where he's going to be able to go into the Hall of Fame, you're looking at Trent Williams. Joe Thomas, you're looking at, again, some of the best tackles we've ever seen play the game, and they did it for a lot longer period than he did. So I think that's ultimately what's going to kill him. Like, I think it's – I can't remember. Again, I would love to credit the host who always talks about it, and I can never remember say I think I think it's Dan Patrick, who it's the Hall of Very Good and the Hall of Great. They're not Hall of Fame caliber, but they, they're right there. They just – the Hall of Fame almost got water has almost been watered down to this point where that some of the players that are in it. But um, I, I just think his longevity wasn't quite there to get him that bid into the Hall of Fame, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's unfortunate because I agree he's a Hall of Fame caliber tackle. But playing with the Browns sure doesn't help. And like you said, he's playing in an era and played with yeah, that's what I was about to say. Ever. Like he played with the Browns, but he also played with the Browns when their offensive line might have been the best in the league, yeah. and they had the best tackle, maybe the best tackle we've ever seen play the game on, yeah. the, on the other side. So he was overshadowed just a little bit. I feel like he was almost he was the John Tate to the Willie Rove of the yeah. Chiefs, where yeah. no one probably great, knew who he was because everyone's like Joe Thomas. Yep. Well, regarding this great career, congratulations, Mitchell Schwartz. We are all massive fans and hope you get to enjoy your retirement uh, pain-free and just have a great, great rest of the go here. And we will anxiously await your cooking show that will inevitably come. All right. Our second and last topic for the evening is uh, one I'm sure Chiefs fans have all been buzzing about. And that is that no extension was uh, reached for Orlando Brown Jr. uh, from the Chiefs the July 15th deadline to come to an agreement on an extension has passed. And so now really only the only option for Orlando Brown Jr. is to play out the year on the tag. I thought he had already signed the tag. Apparently he has not. He has to sign it and then he would play out the year making just under 17 million totally guaranteed uh, for the one season and then they could revisit a new contract um, the following offseason. This is one that, like, I think we even said last time we had the podcast two weeks ago where we were all sellers on whether or not they were going to get a deal done. And I think that was just based on things we'd heard, things we'd read from, you know, the actual people in the know, your Nate Taylors, your Matt Derricks, um, all of your NFL insiders. It just seemed like this probably wasn't going to get done um, the way that I think I, at least I thought initially it was going to. So just to give you an idea, Sam, and we'll dive into this discussion here. They were, this is how close they were. This is, this is a tweet from Carrington Harrison, who's a, 
a broadcaster on 610 Sports Radio. They do a segment with um, Nate Taylor of The Athletic. Um, Carrington said, from by Nate Taylor, which is Nate Taylor's handle on Twitter, uh, the contract that Orlando Brown's camp wanted was around the, uh, the following numbers. Six years for $139 million, 33 to $34 million in signing bonus, and $71 million fully guaranteed, which would surpass Orlando Brown Jr.'s former teammate, Ronnie Stanley. The reported offer, um, and uh, Nick Jacobs um, from KSHB 41 in Kansas City, uh, he's a sports producer there, compiled all the top tackles contracts, um, one of which was the reported offer from the Chiefs to Orlando Brown Jr., which was six years, $139 million, so we're pretty close there, $31 million in signing bonus, which even though it's less than what Orlando Brown Jr. wanted, is still the highest that ever would have been given to a tackle. $38 million fully guaranteed, significantly less than what Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, reportedly was asking for. Um, 52.25 uh, million in injury guarantees, $95 million over five years, um, which basically comes out to about 18.2 million average salary per year in the first five years. And then a thoroughly inflated final year in year six of $44 million, which is what brings the average per year to 23.16 which on the surface would be the most by a tackle, but is, you know, what we might call funny money. Uh, I think that's a term Jason Anderson on 810 uses a lot and kind of coined. So here in the contract, Sam, what, what's your reaction to just kind of how this played out now that we've had all these numbers come out, which is kind of weird for a contract that didn't actually get signed. What are your thoughts on everything here? Oh, firstly, I didn't think it was dumb that the number or strange that the numbers came out because I think the Chiefs wanted to show that we were willing to pay this guy, like pay him a lot. And it wasn't joke money. This wasn't he was going to be some low paid tackle. Do you know? And you may have said it. I just got lost in the numbers. What would that have put him as ranked as tackle? It would like the guarantee or the money, the contract we were going to give him to say. Well, and that's the thing that's weird is like he would have had a highest signing bonus of any tackle. He would have averaged 18 million per year, which would have put him in the top. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. That would have put him in the top, yeah, top six tackles in the NFL in terms of average per year. If you just take the average over the first five years and you disregard the inflated sixth year. That's from over the cap, by the way, not just from. So, yeah, I mean, you're telling me – I think the Chiefs wanted it known that they tried to pay this guy because you're telling me Orlando Brown Jr. was the sixth best sack last year? No, I wouldn't, know. I, I don't even think it was close. That wasn't even close to the sixth. Maybe half, like maybe half, and that's just left tackles. I'm not even talking about right tackles. <laughs> like, so I think it's – yeah, I, I get betting on yourself. I fully endorse it. These again, these guys are some of the best at their their trade, what they do, and they have every right to believe that they are worth the money that they get paid. And yeah, Orlando Brown has has a goal to be the highest paid tackle in the league. But and this may be the peon out of me that will never see that kind of money in my life. 
but that's kind of like looking a gift horse in the mouth. I mean, that is, you are going to be paid handsomely. You're going to get a record setting option as far as the most guarantee or uh, signing bonus from any tackle. And you were still going to be within the highest paid tackles in the NFL when you have not performed that way. And you turned it down because a relatively minute and, and obviously when we're getting into that much money, it, it's like, what, what's the difference at that point in my brain? And again, that may be me never, never getting to see that kind of money in my life that I don't understand. Like my brain can't comprehend it. But to me, that's not that far off money-wise. Like, right. You're telling me that that's not life-changing money that he, he that doesn't set his family up for the right. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't understand it. If he, if he comes out and plays like an absolute beast, and proves us wrong that he is he is in fact the best tackle in the NFL or worth being paid that kudos to him I just can't see it man I don't I don't get turning that kind of contract away here's where I'm at one I get a player turning down a contract that in general is pretty inflated in terms of the overall value because that contract's not is very much an MVS or a Von Miller kind of contract. It's not actually worth $139 million because he would never have seen that 44 million in year six, just never would have happened. Um, You're talking about 40 million in guarantees. If these reports are, are correct in $40 million gap in total guaranteed money. That's, that's a lot of guaranteed money. To, to not to have to be the difference on what each team wants to pay. So I get it. I have no problem with Orlando Brown Jr. going, yeah, I don't want that contract. That's fine. Totally get it. I, they, they live in a different economy where millionaires are playing for multi-billionaires who have more money than God. So I, I have no problem with him turning down that money. I am thrilled that the Chiefs did not give him that contract. I, I think that is a really savvy move by the Chiefs. I'm, I think if he had actually played like a top six tackle, not even number one, because I get like contracts, even if you're not the best, it's always going to, you're always looking to surpass the next guy. Frank Clark got the biggest deal a pass rusher's ever gotten. He was not better than, you know, TJ, the, the, the Miles Garrett's of the world. He just wasn't. Even, even when he was playing well, he wasn't. But that's just kind of how it goes. So if if Orlando Brown Jr. had played like a top six tackle all year, give him a contract. I would have been 100% okay with that because he doesn't miss games. He's, he's very consistent. And if he had played up to that level as a, a guy in his mid-20s, sign me up for that. But I like the idea of now that he has a year of, of actually – acclimating to the system in a pass happy offense, which is wildly different than the one he came from. Right. Let's give you a fully guaranteed contract that still puts you in the top 10 in average per year uh, of tackles in the NFL and see if you can earn that kind of contract that you want. Cause if you do, I'm going to give it to him because people who know, like I, I subscribe to the Kansas City sports network, um, Substack, and I get all their articles and whatnot. And part of that, I get to be in their Discord. A lot of the guys who who actually do the film work, they're saying this tackle class is not a good one. 
and free agency is going to be sparse. So you would be looking at trading for a tackle again. If Orlando Brown Jr. plays great, give him the contract. But I love that they didn't do it now because I don't think he earned it. No, and that and that's been my whole thing with with him this whole year is I that was the one negative about that trade. We 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 were all excited about it. Obviously, we didn't think that was something we could ever manage or, or be able to secure. It was just the fact that it was the last year. And it just put us in one of those situations where it's like, God, I hope he plays well. And when he didn't, it was just like, <laughs> it, it, it's been, again, we've talked about it for how long now? Like we started at the very beginning when we traded for him. I feel like we had a short conversation about the contract with him mm-hmm. and it's been the entire year talking about him. So he just, he hasn't performed to the level to meet the, for us, for us to feel, for the chiefs to feel like they should meet the demands that he's giving. And, and again, like I said, the, he has every right to make these demands. I can't even, even start to think about how much, how good of a player he actually is, but there is a, a level of, like you said, of, of realizing that <laughs> maybe the grass isn't always greener. Right. Like that's kind of what like you're, cause when I look at it is, You've got a guy who's you're like you're blocking for one of the best quarterbacks that will play in this generation. That gives you an amount of as we just talked about with Schwartz, how much his his profile changed going from Cleveland to Kansas City. Like he completely different level of of what he was, even though he's not the he's the exact same player, but just the the level of profile that he gained. So yeah, Orlando Brown's played for great quarterbacks his whole career. Went from Lamar to now Mahomes. But what happens if he goes and, and gets to go play and block for Baker in Carolina? Like, you could be great, but when you're losing 10 games a year, no one really thinks too much about you. Like, mm-hmm. you takes a pretty spectacular talent to rise above that. So, I, I, I don't know, man. It's just – it was, it, again, not surprising at all for me anyway, but at the same time, it's just I'm not, I'm not a rich man like that, I guess. <laughs> Dude, same. And I like, you know, I think it will work out one way or the other because either they tag him again next year if they can't come to an agreement. And at that point, I bet they trade him. It's like, all right, we're clearly not going to get something done. Let's maximize the value and, and go from there. Or they, he does play really well and they go, yeah, let's give him that contract and just shore up our left side for the rest of you know, the next hour, like three or five years with him and Joe Tooney over there. Time will tell. We'll see when he, uh, how he comes into camp. He's had the year of comfortability now in the system. It's just, will he shore up the weaknesses that we've seen? Because I think Seth Kaiser's done a really good job, the chief of the North newsletter and of the athletic of kind of profiling, like if Orlando Brown Jr. gets his hands on you, the, the pass rush stops. Like, it just stops. He's too big. He's too long. He's too powerful. And when he puts his hands on you, you you will not move. But getting into that kick step and being able to go to, like, what I now know is called a vertical set and try to move someone around the edge without overextending or just getting flat beat by a speed rush, that was a problem last year. Yeah, I mean, you can't you – can't... When, when you – all you – we had – what teams figured out is all they had to do is wide, line a guy out in the wide nine 
and just rush as fast as they could around the corner, yeah. and he couldn't get there. The Titans game. The yeah, it was just – okay. Like, that was that was the solution, and that's not what you – that's not what you see out of a guy that wants to be the best ta- – highest paid tackle in the league. Sorry. It's not yeah. what – that doesn't deserve you that kind of money. It takes more than nine games of, of solid football to get there for me. I'm with you. So on that note, just rolling right into our next question here, what does he have to do to earn that contract? I've kind of tipped my hand already. I say if he plays like a top six tackle, fine. Give him that contract. There's an explosion with the cap coming by all accounts from everybody who knows anything on, on the inside. They're all saying like the new TV money that's coming is going to be crazy. The streaming money is going to be insane. Recovering from the COVID years is going to really give a boost. There's an incredible amount of money coming to the cap. On top of that, you'll you'll be out from underneath Frank Clark's contract this coming year. You won't have any dead money left from Anthony Hitchens. You will have this influx of cash. And at that point, if he plays like a top six, top five tackle, like hell, if he plays like a top, a legitimate top 10 tackle, I, I might still be like, yeah, fine. Knowing what's out there, fine. If he plays like a top six tackle, give him that contract. What does he have to do for you to earn the contract that he asked for, that his agent asked for? So it may sound weird because I'm not I'm not putting any kind of performance based thing on it as far as like oh he has to be this this high of three tackle. My thing is he has to look like he fits on our offense mm-hmm. because that's the biggest thing is there's no there's no denying the guy is an incredibly skilled tackle. But that was the whole thing for first half of the year is it was like, yeah, he doesn't fit here. Like, this is not right. So if he comes out and it's just like, yeah, it, it's it's not it, like how uh, Creed Humphreys um, and Trey Smith came in. And we always talked about like, we didn't say they were, we, we didn't talk about them, even though they're rookies. It's because they just seamlessly went into the offensive line. Offensive linemen shouldn't be talked about. That's when they're being talked about, it's bad. That's the only time offensive linemen are ever talked about is when something's bad. That's the end of the story. So I don't want to talk about Orlando Brown. I want to say, oh, yeah, he's he's there. Great. And that if that happens, pay the man. If he fits in that offensive line, he, I mean, he can give up sacks. That's fine. In today's NFL, especially with our the freaking murderer's row that is the AFC West and pass sure. rushers, not alone what we have to face everybody else, we're going to – Mahomes is going to get sacked. There's no doubt about that. But if, if he comes in this year and just looks like he fits in our offense – and has made progression, hey, get him on a long-term contract, I'm perfectly fine with that. But if he comes back again and it looks like a you're trying to fit a, round or a square peg in a round hole, I don't know. I, I can't – I don't know if I can justify that contract with that, regardless of how good he is, because that's the whole thing, is he could be the best tackle in the NFL, but if he can't play in our system, it's completely worthless. Right. Are you paying a, a guy who is a tremendous run blocking right tackle to play a decent left tackle for you to pass half the offense? Like I, that makes a lot of sense to me. I wonder how much, cause we keep hearing all this speculation about like the chiefs offense changing a little bit, especially with the new receivers that are brought in that are all big physical, apparently all great run blockers with Juju and uh, Marquez Valdez scambling. I wonder if they do go to a, not a run heavy scheme because Randy Reed will die before that ever he ever does that. But I wonder if they do incorporate more run fits, if maybe he does look more comfortable just in general, where they can run more straight play action. It's not all zone read. It's not just 
straight shotgun, seven step drops, anything like that. If he just does look more comfortable naturally, because they've got maulers up front, like Trey Smith wants to hurt you. <laughs> like Orlando Brown Jr. is an absolute mauler when he gets his hands on you. Creed Humphrey, you can see the wrestling technique where it's like, he doesn't maul you the way Trey Smith does, but if he gets his hands on you, you just kind of move. And you don't really have a say in the matter. And Joe Tooney is as a technical mastermind as they come. And then if Kennard moves over to right tackle in place of Lucas Niang, you've kind of replaced the one guy I would think is the most finesse out of them with another maul. So I do wonder if maybe the if there are adjustments, not a switch, because I don't think it'll ever be that, but and if there are adjustments made to the current system to incorporate more run fits where he gets to just move forward, get his hands on someone and drive them back. If maybe he doesn't look more comfortable when a defense has to hesitate just that split second on a, on an actual true play action and allows him to drop back and give him that extra half second on this kick step. Yeah. I think that's more than, more than likely going to occur to an extent but also, I think I, I don't think you're going to see as many of the long, drawn-out pass plays. They're still going to be there. Andy, Andy loves them. But we, we lost Tyreek Hill. Who were most of those big, long, drawn-out pass plays designed for? Tyreek Hill. So, we're going to – I imagine the offense will be shorter. Maybe not. It's not going to be as – it's still going to be explosive. You have Patrick Mahomes. But you're not going to have Ty, the Tyreek Hill threat. So, yeah, and that could help him, like not having to block for a seven-step drop and a quarterback that's standing back there for five seconds waiting for Tyreek to run half the length of the field. That's going to help him tremendously. So, yeah, there's there's a lot that the Chiefs can do to to better incorporate his skills and better incorporate the skills of all our offensive linemen, for that matter. But, again, it's just there is a certain level of can he adapt to being a more pass – centric offensive lineman than than being the mauler that he was in Baltimore um and, and I think we saw that that slow development last year because again the second half of the season much obviously much better there's no doubt about that because that first half he just lost but yeah it's that that's my whole thing is is the fit not necessarily the the quality definitely quality of play out matters but mine is the fit primarily looking at is does it look seamless is it is it are we talking about the offensive line or is it finally something that the offensive line played? Well, that's, that's all we talked right. about. So. And I, and I think to your point, just to emphasize, like if it looks like it fits, the quality of play will probably be there. Yeah. Cause if he looks like he's a part and just a seamless fit into that line, typically that doesn't happen if you're playing badly. Usually if you play badly, you're standing out, something's wrong. It doesn't fit. That's why it goes poorly. Cause it doesn't fit. So to your point, if he looks like he's he's incorporated fully into the system, he has a full handle on how things should be, and he's maybe not completely eliminated because he's just always going to be bigger and slower to the edge than, than some left tackles. But if he can mitigate that speed rush coming around the edge to a point where it's manageable and Mahomes can at least step up and make a pack, quick pass, great. The, the, then pay him. To your point, if he is seamless, let's say he does fit and you do sign him to the contract, what's your outlook like with this offensive line for like the next three to five years? Because you're you're talking about Joe Tooney's, like I said, master technician, one of the only guards that has been able to one-on-one 
contain, not hold down, but contain Aaron Donald. Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith are as good a promise as, as second-year players as you could hope for. Right tackle seems to be the only question mark, really, and they they aren't lacking options that are at least decent. So what, what would be your view of this line if Orlando Brown Jr. does look like he fits going forward? I, I fully think, again, right tackle, you're looking at, I will never say it's the Willie Rofe line, but it's part two because you're going to have potentially elite, not again, the, the skill levels are going to be different at each position. Like it's like shifting that line around where the, the quality of play will be at different positions, but you have four relatively elite offensive linemen. And then you're trying to find and the right tackle is kind of a fit and we'll see what happens there. If they can figure out, because those front four, I think Creed Humphrey will be the best center in the NFL for the next seven, eight years. I fully believe that. I think he has that skill set. He was already, I mean, this year, I honestly think, and again, a rookie or offensive line will never win rookie of the year, but he, I think he, you could have put him in the running and he had a good case for it for him. Yeah. Trey Smith will be an absolute dog his entire career. Right? As long as, again, he's a, his health and I'm incredibly excited to see him continue to perform. And then it, it, it just, so those two are the core, the young core. And then you've got the veterans who are, if they like one of the veterans, a guard is the best guard. I personally think overall skill set, just being able to do a little everything. I think he's the best guard in the league. And then the tackle, just a matter of if he fits. So you, I think it, you have the potential to be the best offensive line in the NFL. Hands down. I, I think there's that strong potential. If not, if it doesn't reach that height, you're easily top five every year. And it just ensures that your half a billion dollar quarterback is protected. That's yeah. something that like a lot of these younger quarterbacks don't have that ability. We, they don't get to say that, that they are insured protection because that is what Beach and, and Andy Reid have looked at and said, all right, we made the investment should probably buy some insurance now and make sure it's taken care of because we can't uh, we can't go back on that deal. <laughs> right. To use a comp from earlier, you don't need the right tackle to be John Tate. You need him to be John Wellborn. That's all you need. You need a really you need a really solid, really good right tackle and he's going if everything else comes together, he will look better than maybe even his his overall play suggests he is. Because Wellborn, I think, was a really good tackle. That he, that offensive line was never not elite, even when he was there instead of Tate, because everything else around him was good. So if Darian Kennard or Luke Sniang can can step up and make Wiley, Andrew Wiley, a backup again and force that issue where it's like, nope, Andrew Wiley, you did really well for us last year, but you are you are definitively the backup here. I think at that point, over the next three to five years, you're you're looking at the best offensive line in football potentially. Like you said, it just depends on if Orlando Brown Jr. can fit, and does Darian Kennard 
take that chip on his shoulder and take it to the next level? Can Lucas Niang stay healthy for a full season? Because we're getting to this point. Like if, if he gets hurt again this year, you're talking about his uh, three last three years he played football, knowing that he opted out of 2020. The last three years that he played football, he's had significant injury if he gets hurt again this year. So if he can stay healthy and build on his athletic profile, he's a really athletic tackle, that would be great. And all of a sudden you're looking at a team that has options, has depth along the offensive line, not even just the five starters being great. Like you've got depth at every spot, which would be absolutely huge to the point where now you can maybe make Wiley expendable and you train him for another asset that improves your team elsewhere. It's what good teams do. You lose good pieces or you move good pieces because other players step up and make them those other pieces redundant. So if Orlando Brown Jr. can be that guy at left tackle, not necessarily, like you said, top six. I mean, if he, if people go, yep, top 10 tackle, top, hell, top 15 tackle and, and, gets the job done with the Chiefs, looks like he fits. It's all good, to your point. And you can get your, quote-unquote, John Wellborn on the right side. All of a sudden, I think your offense opens up in a big, big way. That'll do it for us tonight, folks. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, we will hopefully have be back in full force. I'm not sure when Jacob's getting back from vacation. We found out yesterday that he was on vacation. So we will hopefully be back in full force next week. Training camp is just around the corner, so stay tuned. Until then, y'all stay safe out there. We will talk to you next week.